Good morning. Even though I'm coming to you from our home this morning, it's good to know that out of this lockdown, the end is in sight. So over the last three weeks, we've explored the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, starting with how the Spirit breathes life into everything in creation and also sustains that life. We then looked at how the Spirit is a creative partner with mankind, empowering and appointing people both in the Old and the New Testament to perform specific tasks on behalf of God and His chosen people. And last week, we looked at how Pentecost enabled the empowering presence of the Spirit to come and dwell among us and to empower us to become more like Jesus and to do things we wouldn't otherwise do through the gifts that we've been given for the building of his church. And so far, the main focus of our relationship with the Holy Spirit has been on his role in empowering individuals for the greater good of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and the good of the church in the New Testament. But along with that, we've seen that some of these individuals were pretty messed up. So today we're exploring a different role of the Spirit, which is the Spirit's role in messing with us personally and messing with our minds and our hearts to encourage us to go on this journey or, or process of change and transformation that we all really desperately need to undergo. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So this is one of the most concise descriptions anywhere in the New Testament of what happens when the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of someone's life. Most of us know that if we're followers of Jesus, this is what our lives should look like. So we have a tendency to look at the list, give ourselves a score out of nine, and then spend an inordinate amount of time in prayer believing that God will bestow missing elements such as patience or self-control if we have the faith for them. Now, I know if you've tried that, you already know that it's actually not that simple at all. And here's why. How many of you felt reasonably good about yourselves after reading that list of nine? You know, six out of nine isn't bad, and I'm, I'm working on the others. But just notice the metaphor that Paul uses here. It's singular. It's the fruit. It's not the fruits. It's not here's nine different things that could grow in your life because the Spirit is here. It is the one thing and it has nine different aspects. So let's stick to the fruit metaphor and take this, this mandarin, for example. It's a fruit, singular. But if I peel it to reveal the inside, and here's one I prepared earlier, you can see that it has many segments or aspects of this one fruit. Now imagine if you picked a mandarin and peeled it to find only three segments. You'd feel gypped because you didn't get the whole fruit. And this is the idea that Paul is trying to get across here, which means we're all in deep trouble. Because if you've got love going on, but no patience or self-control, then it's broken down and it doesn't really work. How I am growing and changing as a human being, well, that's a, a slow, complicated and difficult process. And just to boil it down to, now I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in my life now, so I guess I'll pray one night and wake up and just be this way. Well, in my experience, it just doesn't happen. Now you have some people who become a Christian in a kind of quick ignition kind of conversion experience. They're like, last week I was living that way, but I decided to follow Jesus and boom, now I'm going to go this way. And for someone with that story, there's often a marked uptake of some of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. For others, they have more of a slow burn conversion rather than a quick ignition, where it's this slow process and they realize over months or even years that they need to follow Jesus. But whether conversion is a slow burn or a quick ignition, 
we find that a year goes by, three years goes by, five, a decade. And there are all in all of our lives, these issues, these trays, this baggage of a pattern of thinking, of really deep flaws in our character, of ways of treating others or dealing with circumstances that just keep coming back and they don't seem to go away. And you think, why am I still dealing with this stuff? I ought to be able to pray one night and then wake up and have no more anger problems or no more money mismanagement issues or whatever your deal is. So we feel that it should be simple. We feel like we're failing at this Christianity thing. Why doesn't it just work? Why isn't it changing me? Why doesn't Jesus just bonk me on the head and make me righteous? So why isn't it like that? And so to find out, we really need to look at the context of Galatians 5.22, which is always a good thing to do, right? When we do that, we realize that in the flow of this whole section of the letter, Paul is wrestling with exactly these issues I just mentioned. Why is it that real character change is such a slow process in our lives? What do you do when it's this battle of the new you and the old you constantly colliding and it's two steps forward, one step back, or even one step forward, two steps back? And this is exactly what Paul is wrestling with in the passage overall. So we're going to start at verse 16 and walk through this exploration of the Holy Spirit's role in this long process of change and transforming us to become more like Jesus. But before we do that, I want us to, to reimagine this passage of Scripture through the style of language Paul is using here. Remember he used the word fruit to describe the impact of the Spirit in our lives. And on looking up the context of fruit in this passage, I found this definition. It's an action understood as if it was the natural fruit produced by a plant or a tree. So why is that important? Well, let me explain it this way. As children, Vicky and her brother and I spent a lot of time playing together on their family farm, where they had a vineyard. Now, anyone who has a farm or has lived on one realised that playing is really just a euphemism for working. Once the grapes have been picked around March or April, it's not just a question of waiting around till next year so that you can pick the next crop. Sometime in July and August, we would be sent out with a pair of secateurs to help with the pruning. Around September, the new shoots would appear on the vines, and as these were bush vines very close to the ground, these tender shoots provided a tasty meal for rabbits. They were also very attractive for certain bird species, so we were sent out into the vineyard to shoot the rabbits and scare off the birds. As the new growth appeared on the vines, so would the weeds. So we'd be sent out on the tractor with a disc plough to plough in the weeds. After a while, the new growth became so prolific that the tractor couldn't negotiate the rows between the vines without damaging them. So we went out with machetes to cut back the new growth so that the tractor could drive down the road. Can you imagine anything more exciting for children to be sent out with sharp objects to just hack and slash as we wanted to? During spring, the changeable weather conditions often brought on the danger of downy mildew infections. At the slightest sign of such an infection, there we were, back out on the tractor, spraying the vines with copper oxychloride, with no protective clothing and handkerchiefs over our mouths. As the grapes ripened and became tasty for the birds, there was more bird scaring to do. And as harvest approached, the ground around the vines needed to be cleared for the pickers. So we would go out with a single blade plough and get as close to the vines as possible to remove the undergrowth. And this was a really tricky and physically demanding exercise. And then at harvest, we were picking grapes and filling trailers to be sent to the winery to make into delicious wine that we were too young to drink. But imagine, as we were filling those grape trailers with fruit, if I'd reached in, grabbed a bunch of grapes, put my arms around Vicky, 
Could I have said with pride and confidence, we grew this bunch of grapes? Absolutely not. No, we didn't grow that bunch of grapes. What did we do? We were the farmers or, or the gardeners, if you like, who put in a lot of effort to provide an environment where the grapes could be grown. But how are grapes or any fruit actually grown? Well, there's this thing called the sun. It emits this huge amount of energy and heat and it interacts with our atmosphere to cause this thing we call weather. And it's all crucial to growth. But how much control do you and I have over this process? Zero. Then there's the genetic makeup of the vines and the soil they're growing in, the whole process of photosynthesis. And we now have no control over any of those things. These are all outside influences that cause the grapes to grow. And we have zero, zero control over them. But yet our role is crucial, isn't it? We do not grow the fruit, but we can hinder the growth of the fruit if we don't play our roles as farmers or gardeners. Can you see that? So why does Paul choose this metaphor to talk about the work of the Spirit in our lives? And I believe it's very intentional because the process of character building is like the growth of the grapes. When the Holy Spirit is at work in my life, it's this outside influence of an actual person who's trying to influence me and address stuff in my life and change me and make me more like Jesus. And I am not in control of that. That change needs to come from something outside of myself. I cannot change my character, but at the same time, I can hinder or help this growth process in my life. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can extinguish the work of the Spirit in your life or in a church community. You can do all kinds of things that will minimize the work of the Spirit and that's the issue that he's getting at in the whole of this chapter here. So starting at Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So the word spirit here is the word pneuma that we've talked about before for breath as a sign of life, which is the New Testament way of talking about the very personal presence of God. Paul is addressing Christians here. And, in, and the spirit is the person of God who is with you, and in you. So he says, don't just have the Spirit in you, but walk by the Spirit. We need to both receive the Spirit as something outside of us that we have no control over, but at the same time, we have to become a gardener if we want fruit. He recognizes, of course, that we're all following Jesus in an environment that is not neutral. And he talks about this battle. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So Paul is essentially developing this worldview that you and I exist with a foot in two worlds. If you've given your faith and allegiance to Jesus and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, you're marked, you're immersed, he's got your number. You've given him permission to mess with you as long as you live now. So that's one reality. But at the same time, we live in physical bodies and we live in a world order that is deeply compromised by sin and evil. And so we have a choice. Which world am I going to choose to live in? And what kind of human existence am I going to live now that I have this power and presence in person pulling me in the direction of life? Now, Paul knows this is not simple. Paul knows that this is not just pray one night to take this lifelong character flaw away from me and then boom, you wake up and it's gone. So he knows that that's not what it's going to be like because we have a foot in both of these worlds. And this is what he goes on to explore. Verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other 
So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So Paul fully recognises that there's this conflict going on inside each and every one of us right now. He says that we exist as followers of Jesus, but it's not our full identity because we still live in the world and it's going to be difficult. But we now have this outside source, the Holy Spirit, filling us with redemptive energy and pulling us towards life. And while this is extremely powerful, how it manifests depends on our gardening skills. Let's take a simple example of a, perhaps a tense situation you may be in with a friend, a co-worker, even a stranger. And they're behaving badly. And this thought pops into your mind that now is a good time to let them know what you really think of them or their actions. You know that you have the ability in that moment to really hammer at home, make them feel really stupid and despicable. You have the right provocation to be really derogatory and humiliate them in front of their peers. Now, no matter how much influence the Holy Spirit might exert in your decision-making, your response will come down to what sort of environment you have been cultivating for the fruit of the Spirit in your life. In other words, have you been pruning, weeding and killing off the predators so that your life is an environment that's conducive for fruit to, go, to grow? Or is it disease-ridden? The weeds are growing wild and you have been feeding the wolves. Because if you haven't been gardening your life so that the Spirit can do what He needs to do, then don't be surprised if you don't grow. Don't be surprised if you don't change. Because your sinful nature is a monster. And it's never going to stop and it's going to rule your life every single day that you let it. So this is what Paul's getting at. And he knows that this is challenging and he knows that it's a lifetime journey. And he's just trying to be blunt while still giving us hope. Paul goes on from here to explore the many-sided face of the sinful nature and then the multifaceted fruit of the Spirit. So let's keep going. Verse 19 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So there's no, no um, problem discerning what's going on here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So this is the stuff that we all do when left to our own devices. Nobody taught us how to be selfish. It just happened. You know what I mean? And if you live with toddlers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They are capable of immense love and then incredible selfishness in almost the same breath. So Paul lists 15 facets of the broken, sinful human condition here. But he breaks them into interesting little categories. He begins with broken sexuality sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. Now, the reason Paul goes there first is because if you want to know whether or not your life is a hospitable environment for the work of the Spirit, one of the first places you can look is your history with regard to your sexual past and the stupid, sinful decisions that we all make or somebody else makes for us that affect us. And these are not things that we can just forget about. They're not light matters. There are events in our lives that deeply shape us and that we carry with us for a long, long time. Sex matters a lot. Our bodies matter a lot. And the Holy Spirit is all about the redemption of our bodies and the healing of our mind, soul and body. The second category starts in verse 20. And he connects two of them here, idolatry and sorcery or, or witchcraft. And so here he's talking about two examples of how we relate to the spiritual realm. Idolatry is about giving our allegiance to something that's not the one true God. And sorcery or witchcraft 
is about viewing spiritual beings or spiritual realities as something that we have power over and can manipulate to gain power over other people or make things happen in life. And both of these are precisely the opposite of the biblical vision that we're humans made in God's image for relationship and worship guided by the wisdom and the love of our Creator. Now the third category, Paul really goes to town on. He gives eight of them here and it's all about relational breakdown. Hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division and envy. Every single one of these is about relational breakdown or personal character flaws that lead to or contribute to relationship breakdown and the fostering of unhealthy relationships in our lives. Now of course there's a reason for that. It's because he's writing a letter to a bunch of churches in Galatia that are bitterly divided over a really contentious issue of theology and cultural practice. It's really interesting though, because this is not an, an issue of religious people versus irreligious people, or Christians versus pagans, or something like that. This is a human thing. And in fact, it might even be that with some of the most religious people you know, it's actually not about Jesus. It's more about selfish ambition, and they might turn out to be the most divisive people that you've ever met. So Paul is just saying, if you want to see which of the two worlds you're living in most, look at the health of your relationships. The health of your personal relationships will tell you a bunch about whether your life is a friendly environment for the Holy Spirit to grow fruit. Paul concludes with two more, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now in the culture of Paul's days, these were connected to the worship of pagan gods that involved a lot of alcohol and a lot of ritual sex. He goes on to say, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now what he's saying here is that we can come to a point where we allow our, our identity, our life choices to be completely cut off from Jesus. A point where we say, I don't want the influence of Jesus through the Spirit in my life. I simply want to be completely determined by whatever my own vision of reality is. It's a life and a person completely defined by the sinful nature. This isn't about failing and then looking back to Jesus with a repentant heart. This is, I don't care about or want anything to do with this. And Paul says such people have chosen not to inherit the kingdom of God. So it's complicated. And Christians live with a foot in both words. And we, we do fail here a lot. But Paul's relating this so that he can give us hope that we can be trained to become gardeners. So let's look at the flip side of the coin. The fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so this is what the Spirit wants to grow in our lives. If we will partner with the Spirit and declare that we want our lives to be a place where the Spirit can grow these kinds of Jesus-centered character traits. This is all different facets of the first one he names here. The first one is love. And the Scripture's love is not an emotion. It's an action that seeks the well-being of another person regardless of how they respond to me. And so joy and peace is about a decision that we make because the Son of God lived for me, died for me, and was raised from the dead for me. My vision of who I am and my reality is grounded not in how my life is going, but in what Jesus did for me. I can choose to have joy and I can choose to live in a state of tranquility knowing that none of this, none of what goes on in my life, surprises Jesus. Patience, kindness, and goodness. These are all relational terms which sort of balance the categories of the work of our sin nature. So in our relationships, this is about being not quick to judge or react based on the actions of others. After all, they may be annoying, 
but think, we're probably annoying to people too, in ways that we just don't know. And so Jesus died for us, and so we can just be patient and kind to others knowing that. Faithfulness is about reflecting this ability to be a source of stability in the lives of other people, of being people of our word, not flighty and unreliable, but a constancy in someone's life. Gentleness is about not judging people harshly based on our reality, but to be a source of grace in their lives, even as we help them weed their garden. Now, the last one's really interesting. Self-control. So rather than the Spirit taking control of us, how do you recognise someone who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit in their life? It's someone who has self-control. So rather than becoming this religious, stoic, disengaged person, Paul is saying that the most Spirit-filled people you know are the most human people that you know. The most fully human. Humans in control of their impulses and desires and so on, who truly take all of that energy and choose love, patience and everything else. And you've got to ask, is that the human side of them or is it the spirit? And the answer to that is exactly. The whole point is that the spirit is trying to pull us into a fuller state of humanity because Jesus was the one human, human being who actually lived this way. This is exactly why we're being made into the image of Jesus. And when the spirit is at work in our lives, he makes us more of our true selves as followers of Jesus. So how do we turn this into practical action? How do we actively, actually be effective gardeners of our life? So look at verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So the first thing you have to do is make sure we belong to Jesus Christ. If you've never asked to belong to Jesus, if you've never asked him to be your Lord and Saviour, then right now I want you to press the raise hand button in the chat. The same goes for you if you once lived with Jesus as your Lord, but your life no longer reflects that. Press the raised hand button in that chat. One of our team will connect with you privately and lead you through a prayer to accept Jesus Christ into your life and then give you details on how to take the next step as a follower of Jesus. For the rest of us, let's take Paul's advice. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We now live not simply as just humans trying to be good moral people in our own strength. We live with a new person in our lives, and it's a new person who is speaking good news to us. Our habits, our mindsets, our character flaws do not define us. This is not who we really are, because that part of us died 2,000 years ago with Jesus on the cross. So learn the habit of preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. And in those very difficult moments, in those moments of insanity when you have a choice, sinful nature or spirit nature, all of a sudden you've cultivated the right environment to proclaim the good news to yourself. And that's how we garden our lives. First, by listening to the gospel. Then actually start making choices that will make our lives an even more hospitable garden for the spirit. This is simple stuff. If there are temptations in your life, remove them whether it's drugs, porn, alcohol, gambling, or whatever, don't just get the whippersnipper out and cut them down. Pull them up by the roots and burn them. Remove the source from your life. Get an accountability partner. Get professional help. Don't feed the weeds. Kill them. You may have other issues, but you know, swallow your pride. See a therapist. If you need to go to a person and apologize or make things right, then just do it. What we will find is that suddenly, as we preach the gospel and learn the practices of cultivating our lives through our choices and behaviour, Paul says, 
watch the Spirit grow fruit in your life. It's not your doing, but it's you playing the role of a gardener to allow the Spirit to make you more like Jesus. How are you guys going with that? It's very practical stuff. Let me finish in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that as we cultivate the garden of our lives, that you grow and change us through the fruit you bring into our lives. Help us be effective and practical gardeners. In Jesus' name.